Welcome back, everybody, to episode five of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. I am, uh, as always, of course, your host, Quinn Douglas, and I got my co-host here, Carter Cottinger. Carter, good to see you, my friend. Hope you had a Labor Day weekend that was enjoyable. I know I did, but I'm a little tired. Yeah, you know, it was a good weekend. Uh, There was a Hawkeye win involved, so it was a good weekend, although... And and that's all we're going to say about that. Yeah. (laughs) Granted... It wasn't the win I was expecting, but it was a win. They're one and out. So it was a good, good three-day weekend. And, yeah, back back just a four-day week until the Iowa State game. So yeah. and, and I, I, I would just tell people back home, you know, that would complain about the offense. I just say, you know what? I will never bitch too much about a win because a win's <laughs> a win. I, I am happy with the win. It's much better than an L in the column. There's no question about that. But I won't waste – any more time we got a guest here second guest here on the podcast uh here with uh episode five and joining us uh he's a good friend of ours from danny back to our days in iowa we got a lot of mutual friends he's a cedar rapids native a former linmar lion and he is currently teaching at collins maxwell elementary school and he has also done work for uh the sb nation site for iowa state wide right now you like perhaps one of the more famous sb nation sites out there He's our good friend, everybody. Welcome into the podcast, Jared Zeiser. Jared, good to have you on here, my friend. Hey, thanks for welcoming me. I'm excited. Uh, ready to talk some football. Yeah, we are all ready to talk some football. And uh, Jared, we'll talk a little about yourself just before we get diving into the football deal. So you, you've done work for Wide Right 90 Light. How did that come about? Because obviously I've seen quite a few people. There seems to be quite a few contributors for Wide Right 90 Light that seemingly come and go. But how did that opportunity come on the table in your time at Iowa State? Um, I was out student teaching in Utah, actually, and I was getting kind of bored with my free time because I hadn't met a lot of people yet. And so I just reached out and I DM'd the account on Twitter and asked if I could, you know, what it would be like to participate and what I would need to do. And they asked me to just write a sample for them, and I did, and they liked it. So they let me start writing. I haven't done as much as I'd like to lately just because everything with school and mm-hmm. a lot of stuff coming up, but I would like to keep writing for them it's been it's been great they're they're a good, good group of guys the group chat's pretty pretty funny especially during game time yeah i mean i i really have no problems with the wide right natty light guys but they don't like me going but i i leaked the iowa state jerseys this would have been about three or four years ago and they really don't like me but i have no i really have no problem with them uh whatsoever I, matthias and that whole crew i mean I, I think quite frankly i think they're they're a lot better than some of the other accounts i see out there on social media and you know they're funny and they're very they're realistic a lot of times as well and that's what i appreciate uh, about those guys so uh, definitely i just want just let them know next time you talk to them i have no hard feelings for them <laughs> all right I'll, I'll yeah no no hard feelings on this end but uh yeah, we got a lot to talk about in this podcast. Obviously, week one of the college football season uh, was upon us last week. Obviously, we know Iowa, it was an ugly game, a 7-3 to win over South Dakota State, and those seven points are the, maybe the most unconventional seven points in the history of college football, a field goal and two safeties, and uh, it was great to see a Jack Campbell get the save in relief. No, I'm just kidding. Uh But uh definitely uh, not the way Iowa envisioned the start of their season, but as you heard me say at the start of the top podcast, I don't think any Hawkeye fans are going to complain about a win because a win is a win. I mean, no question about that. And I, I always look at this, you know, Carter, and I saw Purdue's Twitter through shade at Iowa uh, this morning with the Charlie Jones stuff. You know what? I'd rather win seven to three with two safeties than lose 35 to 31 because we can't run the football and we have no defense. 
Yeah, not to mention that I believe that they passed the ball six times in a row when they had the ball at the oh, end there. It, it was um, maddening. Mad. I, I I got home. I had a volleyball game in Humboldt on Thursday. I, I got home. I was watching the game. I, I'm not kidding. I was screaming at, at my phone and at my laptop, run the ball. And I may, may or may not have money on Purdue, but uh, run the ball. <laughs> and they didn't run the ball. And, you know, they just – yeah, it was not good. I mean, ruined a three-leg parlay for me, so I was not too happy about that. Uh, th- that's the last time I ever bet on the Boilermakers. But uh, regardless uh, of that, for Iowa State, it was a bit of a different tune. Uh, obviously, they opened up their season with a 42-10 to 10 win over Southeast Missouri State. I was there uh, covering the game up in the press box. And uh, Hunter Decker's four touchdown passes, nearly 300 yards passing. Did have a couple hiccups there towards the end of the first half. Did throw an interception. He was nearly returned for a touchdown. That eventually led to the only score of the day for Southeast Missouri State. And, uh, Jared, I don't know how much of the game you watched. I'm assuming you watched all the game uh, like I did. But, you know, there was a lot of things that came away that I would say maybe appeared to be better in than perhaps a lot of people thought. But I didn't really feel like we could get that good of a gauge because, let's, let's face it, Southeast Missouri State is not a very good football team. No, yeah, they're not. But what I really like to see was us coming out and firing on all cylinders, which hasn't been the case the last few years, especially under Matt Campbell. If you think back to the UNI game, the triple OT win with Brock diving on a fumble to save the game. Think back to the Louisiana loss. It's just been a tough, tough start to the Cyclones. Mm-hmm. So seeing us get out to a win that we should have blown them out and we did blow them out. So mm-hmm. that was nice to see. Um, it came out, the running game started a little slow, but in the second half, it really it looked it looked nice. Jairo Brock especially mm-hmm. uh, one highlight play slammed on the brakes on the sideline, turned it back on. Uh, Cartavius Norton looked pretty good in the three attempts he had, um, but then he kind of cramped up in his hamstring. But yeah, overall I think the offense was firing on all cylinders. Um, first drive defense looked okay. They came away with a pick, about to give away some points there, so they kind of bailed us out. But um, yeah, I, overall I think I think the team looked pretty good. Yeah, I will say I was impressed with Cartavius Norton, uh, who was coming off the bench that the freshman. He did a really good job. Uh, I think he had about five carries for 30 yards, somewhere thereabout, but did have some impressive uh, highlights in, the, in those runs. But he's actually, uh, Matt Campbell announced today that he's going to be missing uh, the Iowa game this week. I believe he's got a hamstring injury because he kind of hobbled off the field after one of the runs and appears he is not going to suit up against the Hawkeyes. So that kind of hits the Iowa State running back depth a little bit, uh, a little bit harder. But like you said, Jirel Brock, I was impressed. He is as, he's more physical of a runner than I imagined I would see uh, out of Jirel Brock. I thought maybe he was more of a finesse guy, more of a, you know, make you miss guy. But no, he broke off a lot of arm tackles. I was very impressed with Jirel Brock, especially how he performed in the second half. He was really a downhill runner, really caught my eye in that regard. And the Iowa State offensive line, I thought they did an okay job. I thought run blocking-wise, they were solid. Pass blocking, I think there were a couple times uh, Deckers bailing them out with a couple nice plays using his feet to extend plays. Uh, other than that, I thought the offensive line, I think really, you know, if we're going plus minus, I thought they were just a neutral. Uh, they weren't a plus. They weren't a minus. I think they were just neutral. And Xavier Hutchinson, of course, had a big day, and he is going to be a big help for breaking in a young quarterback in a Hunter Deckers, no question about that. But if we're going to break this game, break both games down a little bit more in depth here before we get to our previews this week for Iowa, Iowa State. Of course, it is Hate Week, as we all know. Uh, oddly enough, at least on Twitter today, Hate Week has felt rather subdued in the last few years, and you know what? I, I like that. I, I was Hate Week was not getting to a point where I wanted to be on Twitter, but this year it's been kind of subdued. It's been kind of more fun, playful jabs, and I, I have really appreciated that. But we're going to start off, Carter, with Iowa, and uh, tell you what, Carter. Uh, you know, like we said, the Iowa offense was 
abysmal is probably the, the correct word for the Iowa offense. The Iowa defense was sensational. Once I, it sounds dumb, but once Iowa got up five to three, as long as Iowa avoided another turnover inside their half of the 50, uh, South Dakota State was just simply not going to drive the length of the field on the Iowa defense. That just simply wasn't going to happen. I will say I came away very impressed, and that's a good South Dakota State offensive line. I came, I came away very impressed with Iowa's defensive line. They really brought it on Saturday, and definitely that is a positive thing going forward for Iowa, especially going into a Cyhawk week where maybe Iowa State still has a couple questions at offensive line. I know Jake Rensburg has been dealing with injury, their left tackle. Uh, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely was very impressed with the Iowa defensive line uh, in the wing, especially the linebacking core of the DBs too. Yeah, you know, a lot of the post-game summaries that I've been listening to and reading – Everyone is raving about the defense and how well they played. And it seems all the positives are, are about that defense. And then every single negative from the game is regarding the offense. And I, I know the front page of the Cedar Rapids Gazette on Sunday said, it said, I dash W a big, oh boy. Dick, then no O R Y. And it, it said with no O in sight, but defense and special teams help Hawks squeak past the Jackrabbits. So that's just how telling of where the offense is at as a, as a program right now. And even David Eichold, our good buddy, um, he mentioned that he thinks this might be the low point of an Iowa offense in the Kirk Ferentz era, which is definitely concerning going into the Iowa state game. I mean, Spencer Petrus 11 for 25 with just an interception and a QB rating of 1.1. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's almost laughable. I, I heard you laugh there, Jared. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, and you know, during the game, I was starting to wonder, you know, if, if coach Ferentz would give Alex Padilla a backup quarterback a shot, just because, it looked like Petrus maybe even needed a breather just to kind of get his head right, but they did not. They stuck with him, and Iowa got the win. Uh, the most unconventional seven points I think I've ever seen. I've never seen a game with a seven to three score and have no touchdown yeah. in that. Um, but I mean, the defense and the special teams made enough plays to get the win. And I mean, Kinnick was already a very tough place to play this last Saturday. They caused eight false starts. Um, and I, I think it'll just be an even better environment this upcoming weekend. Yeah, I would definitely agree on that. Jared, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I just, it's kind of a shame how much the offense is getting attention for how bad it is with how elite your, your defense and special teams are. Like that should be what's in the papers. That should be the focal point. And the, how piss poor the offense has been is kind of getting all the attention. I was listening to uh, the Football and Random Things podcast. It's Jeff Woody um, mm -hmm. and Jared Stansbury, and they were talking about uh, the prog progression of Iowa's offense over the course since uh, Brian Francis has taken over as OC. And so it's first year they were 45th, and then they jumped up to 41, so it was a slight growth. And then they jumped down to, like, 60th, and then 70th, and then – around 90th last year heading into this year so it's just been a steady decline and i just i do how has he not been on the hot seat or is he on the hot seat and do you guys think is this the year if brian ferentz doesn't turn on the offense is he going to be moving back to the o-line coach role so my thought i'll go first on this my thoughts on this i think when i look i think 
I don't think the scheme is what the issue is. I think the execution is what the issue is. The execution has was really, really poor on Saturday. I thought in terms of how the Brian called just the play calls and not how they were executed, the ideas and the way Brian wanted to go about the offense on Saturday, I thought he was fine. I thought the screen pass, if Petrus completes it, that's a walk-in touchdown for LaShawn Williams. Yeah, that drive, sure. yeah, and that drive when Iowa was driving, they were inside, I think they were inside the 10 of South Dakota State, and LaShawn Williams got fumbled. That was an excellently called drive by Brian Ferentz at that point. LaShawn Williams needs, we, and we all, Carter and I definitely know, if you don't hold on to the football in a Kirk Ferentz offense, that's the quickest way to get in Kirk's doghouse. <laughs> and uh, you absolutely – uh, I mean, if Iowa scores those two times, this is a completely different conversation. We're not talking about how horrible the Iowa offense is. We're talking about, you know what, there were some times they looked bad, but they got it done a few other times. You know, maybe they're, maybe they're not better, but maybe they're not better, but I don't know if they're worse than they were at the end of last year. So really it's just a couple plays, I think, is the difference in that game when we're between we're talking about this is the low point of the Kirk Ferentz era, which in terms of offense, which I disagree. I think Wisconsin in 2017 was a far worse game uh, than this game here against South Dakota State. Uh, and people forget that Iowa only managed 68 yards of total offense in that game, coming off a game where they scored 55 points against Ohio State the week before. And uh, those two touchdowns were both on Josh Jackson pick sixes. I think that was the low point for the Iowa offense. And I know it's, uh, well, Wisconsin's an FBS team and South Dakota's an FCS team. It makes no difference to me. 68 yards of offense to 68 yards of offense. Iowa still managed, you know, it was under 200 yards, but still they managed well over 100 yards of, of total offense and had their chances to score, might I add. They had a couple chances to score uh, in, those, in, in those as well, just weren't able to convert. And also I think, you know, Petrus, I tried to defend him, but it, it got to a point where he was missing a lot of easy throws. And I go, you know what? No, this a lot. Some of this does have to go on Spencer because he was. There was a lot of times he was bad. The offensive line, I think, was a was a much bigger part than people want to elaborate because it's just easy to point the finger at the quarterback. Well, I mean, because that's mm-hmm. what it is at every level. It is at the high school. It is at the at the college level. It is at the NFL level. The point the finger gets pointed at the quarterback and the offense coordinator when the offense doesn't do well. But the line was. I think the line was worse than Spencer Petrus was on Saturday. And the line, you know, whether that's just first game jitters, whether, you know, maybe it's there's just some youthful indiscretion going on there. Uh, I know Logan Jones had a really rough first game at center, but uh, Kirk Ferentz, when he spoke to the media today, felt felt much more confident that Logan was going to take a big jump here in week two. Uh, and Kirk today didn't seem all that, you know, he didn't seem all that worried about the offense. And it feels like maybe it is just a couple of pieces, you know, just a couple of little changes that, that really could change the way this offense plays against Iowa State. Then again, I mean, then again, most of us don't don't know the intricacies of Iowa's philosophy uh, as well as obviously as Kirk Ferentz does, as Brian Ferentz does, as George Barnett does, the offensive line coach. But it definitely feels like, you know, I look at this game here against Iowa State coming up. It, and with the what Iowa has done in the Ferentz era after all time bad performances, he usually followed. They usually followed up with a pretty solid performance. So, you know, history tells us maybe Iowa does right the ship uh, in some regard this week against Iowa State. Uh, but obviously, we're gonna have to wait and find out on the field on Saturday. But when it comes to Brian Ferentz and his topic of him on the hot seat, I I, I never want to judge one game or a season off of one game. I never have, and I never will. But if this is an omen, that seat's got to be getting just a little bit warmer. I don't think it's nearly as hot as some people want it to be and maybe deservedly should be, but I think definitely if this is a precursor to what we're going to see all year, that seat is going to be warmer by the end of the year. 
Yeah, Quinn, I'd agree with a lot of your analysis there. Um, the offensive line had absolutely no push on Saturday, and I think that had a lot to do with the rest of the offense's failures. Um, really, I mean, Petrus did not have a lot of time on some of those throws, but on the throws that he did have time, yeah, it, not he good. had some very bad execution. I mean, Sam Laporta was targeted seven times but his stat line is only two catches for nine yards. And I mean, this is a tight end that is supposed to be one of the best in college football this year. And he has two targets for nine yards against South Dakota. Um, no, and, he, and he, and he dropped a, a, an out route. That was, I think that, a really yeah. well-thrown ball by Spencer Petrus, but Laporta couldn't hang on. And I got into an argument with some idiot on Twitter about, you know, Spencer needs to make, needs to make a better pass. I'm like, well, do you want it to be higher or lower? It can't be perfect every time. They're human. Joe Montana isn't throwing that pass. I mean, Tom Brady's not throwing that pass. It's a college quarterback. And that's, you know, I really get sick of the nitpicking in that regard. Like, oh, that ball needs to be placed a little bit higher. You're not the offensive coordinator. Come on. The tight, the Porter should have caught that ball. Bar none. Petrus put it in a fine spot. Could it have been better? It probably could have been. But he put it in a spot where Laporta should have caught it with two hands and Laporta didn't. Yeah. And, I think just regarding, you know, Brian's hot seat, like if, if it's getting hotter or anything along that line, I liked how Chad Lysico and Kennington Smith from the register, they said that really give it until like the Michigan game to see where Iowa's offense is this year, because this week we'll, we'll see more with against Iowa state, but I don't see, I, I don't foresee Iowa showing a whole lot versus Nevada the following week or Rutgers after that so really it the offensive success is going to come down to the michigan game you know four weeks from now and that's when we'll really see how hot this seat should be um i'm, I'm gonna give it till then and i think other hawkeye fans should as well it'll be frustrating if it doesn't happen this weekend because it's a rivalry game it's iowa state we want to beat them but I, I think michigan if it's still not fixed then then obviously there's a bigger there's a there's an issue and it might be the coach, but yeah. I mean, me, me and Quinn, Quinn, we both have, you know, we've given, we've, we've been saying the last few weeks that we think this offense is going to make improvements. We thought Petrus was going to look better this year. We thought the offensive uh, an analyst, John Budimer, that mm-hmm. his addition would do a lot for, you know, the Iowa offense. And there's, I still have hope, but it's not where it was before. Yeah. <laughs> And also, I, I look at, too, you know, Iowa State is going to, you know, I think Iowa State's easily the best non-conference team on the schedule uh, for Iowa, though. South Dakota State, let's not say they're not like South Dakota State is not a good football team. You look after Iowa State, Nevada, and Rutgers, South Dakota State might be better than both Nevada and Rutgers. They're certainly better than Nevada. Certainly better. I mean, that's a Nevada team that struggled with New Mexico State. And granted, Jerry Kill is that coach in New Mexico State. He's an excellent coach, but it's his first year. He's not going to have really any success in that first year at New Mexico State. And Rutgers, you know, I think I think the jury's still out. They had a great comfort behind win against Boston College. But then again, how good is Boston College? We really don't know. But South Dakota State, I mean, there's a reason why they're the number two team in the FCS behind the, the perennial power that is North Dakota State. And the FCS, you know, I, I, I probably sound like I'm trying to make excuses for Iowa, but really the only difference between the FCS, there's really two major differences between the FCS and the FBS. Number one is depth, because there's just more players on an FBS roster than there's on an FCS roster. Number two, it's really FCS guys on average are probably about an inch shorter and two two tenths to three tenths of a second slower than FBS guys. That's really what it is. That's really not that huge of a difference. 
and especially if you're in South Coast State, you're maybe getting guys that are, you know, at their at their peak. They're probably guys that probably should have gotten max school offers or uh, you know maybe low end Big Ten type of offers or you know so on and so forth. Group of five offers, and they chose to go play at South Dakota State. And you know those are good athletes, but yeah, there's. You know, give South Dakota State credit, did a good job of shutting down Iowa offensively. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of blame that does go on the Iowa offense. But I think, I don't know if it's 50 50 or how you want to slice it up, but South Dakota State does deserve some credit for coming out and playing a really good game uh, on Saturday against Iowa. I do think there is, all, you know, there is credit to be had. And I definitely know South Dakota State is probably sitting in their locker, in their, you know, in their facility here on, on the, we're recording this on Tuesday, probably thinking, hey, we held the Big Ten team to seven points and even scored an offensive touchdown. We got to be feeling pretty darn good about ourselves. Yeah, I think uh, North Dakota State might might have to watch out this year. Yeah, for once the Bison have to watch out. Uh, but yeah, e- e- easily, uh, I- I'd say that was a pretty good defense Iowa faced uh, on on Saturday. And even you know, I go back to the twenty the year twenty sixteen when Iowa lost to North Dakota State. That's North Dakota State team, and I'm not saying this to Jared to knock on the Big Twelve. You put North Dakota State in the Big Twelve at that time at that time frame. North Dakota State's winning eight games in that in the Big Twelve in that time frame. Just that's how loaded their roster was. I mean, it would look like there were guys that looked like power five guys on that North Dakota State roster. No, I agree with you. Both, yeah. or both uh, North Dakota State and South Dakota State, I, we've seen them show success at the FBS level. I, I think, and at the NFL, their their athletes can show out. So it's just you got to be ready to play every week. Yeah, and Kirk Merritt, he's always trying to make you try to remind people that that's what he tells his guys got to be ready to play uh, every week. No question uh, about that. And before we do get on the topic of Iowa State with uh, their one over Southeast Missouri, before we dive into that a little more closely, I, I was really impressed. I do want to bring this up, and both of you guys can comment on this because I think this can apply to both sides here. I don't know if you guys saw the video of Jack Campbell after the game uh, talking to the media. And, uh, you know, at, and pretty much, I don't know, I, I, I didn't hear the question. Is the, uh, again, our friend David Eichel, 247sportshockeyinsider.com, uh, he posted the video of Campbell's uh, quote following a question that was asked. Uh, it didn't include the, the video, didn't include the question, but Jack Campbell gave a really, really heartfelt, thought out response about, you know, the offensive struggles and how does the defense and special teams react to that. And, I, you know, for, for those of you that want to go look at it, it's on David's page and go go to the media section on Twitter and, and find it on his profile. But I what it took away is – what I took away from that is, A, number one, Jack Campbell is not only an exceptional football player, he's an exceptional person. And number two, I think every football team needs a guy like that, needs a guy like a Jack Campbell in terms of a leadership standpoint who's not afraid to – you know, say that to the media and say, no, this is, we're not pointing the finger at anyone. We're a team and we do this with all three phases of the football. And I, I was very impressed. And I feel like th- that that's a guy, if you are starting a program, you know, a college football program, you want a guy like a Jack Campbell, not even out of talent sense, but as a leader stance, when it comes to, you know, showing how to do things the right way and talking how to do things the right way, that's a guy you want leading your program. And every program should have a guy like a Jack Campbell from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Um, and I even saw that Kirk Ferentz showed the team that clip um, that, you know, that that David mm-hmm. took just to kind of show an example of what, you know, Hawkeye football is and what they try to preach to their guys. So I thought that was really cool. And yeah, just shows really how, you know, those guys just have each other's backs. And I mean, you see that at a lot of programs, but it's especially cool to see at Iowa, especially with how much, you know, fire the offense has been under. Mm-hmm. 
it, you you got to have guys like that in your locker room because if you don't, then it's the inside the team. There's a civil war and stuff's not going to gel. Your football team, it's one entity. There's not three entities. It's not special teams, defense, and offense. It's one football team. You're not playing complementary football. You're not going to win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Yep, and complementary football has been the name of the game for Kirk Ferentz's program for the going on 25 years now. Hard to believe. Uh, but definitely that's been the name of the game it, it, on the field and off the field. No question uh, about that. When, it, when, you, when you talk about Kirk Ferentz and his time as the head coach at Iowa. And uh, we're going to flip the page here. Iowa State, as we mentioned earlier, that 42-10 to 10 win uh, over Southeast Missouri State. Uh, uh, Iowa State's offense, as we mentioned before, with the Jared was really clicking on all cylinders. They came out guns a-blazing, and they showed it. You know, four touchdown passes from Hunter Deckers, three of them to Xavier Hutchinson. Hutchinson looked a part of the All-Big 12 receiver. Uh, in that game, uh, obviously there were a couple of hiccups towards the end of the half uh, for uh, Iowa State, allowing you know t- a touchdown and a field goal before halftime. But Iowa State came out and reset the tone right away in the third quarter, scoring on their opening drive with uh, Deshaun Hanica, his first touchdown as a cycle, and then a couple runs from Jairo Brock and Deion Silas to, to salt the game away, forty-two to ten win. And uh, really, the, the one thing I, I was like, like we talked about before, Jared, I was impressed with Jairo Brock. Hunter Deckers, I think, came out and, and showed the arm, and he made a lot of really good, you know, timing throws. And there was a good job, good play calling by t- offensive coordinator Tom Manning, Jared, of uh, really, you know, getting Hunter Deckers settled into the game. A lot of good passes, you know, short passes, timing patterns to get Deckers settled in, and he really built on that. And, uh, like, you know, like we said, it's Southeast Missouri State's not a very good program, but I don't think you could have asked for a better start if you're Hunter Deckers as your first start as a Cyclone quarterback. Yeah, no, you couldn't have asked for anything better, and especially having a guy, an all-Big 12 guy like Xavier Hutchinson to rely on if your first read isn't there and he wasn't your first read. Putting Xavier Hutchinson is going to be there or he's going to go up and fight for the ball if he's not open. Um, we also added a guy in Demetri Stanley, transfers from um, Colorado, mm-hmm. and he's he's a blazer, man. He really he helps open the field. He, he makes the DBs fall back. I, I thought he was a great addition. He only had one reception for 17 yards, but the way he runs the field is is very impressive to me. Um, and when we were talking about Jairo Brock, I mean, he had 16 rushes for a little over 100 yards. That mo- Most of that came in the second half. The first half, I felt like he was kind of running how he did last year, where he was tr- running to not lose his job or not lose the job as the backup role behind Brees Hall. He wasn't running like Jairo. He was mm-hmm. running to be safe. And he kind of did that in the first half, too, with a couple of his attempts. And I think someone lit a fire under him at halftime and told him just, hey, run like you, be you. And he flipped a switch in the second half and just looked like a whole, a totally different runner. Yeah, I would definitely agree. He was a much more physical runner. And he had, he showcased physicality, Jared, that I had mm-hmm. never seen from him before. He was, he was breaking a lot of arm tackles from that Southeast Missouri State defense. Obviously, that one run you talked about where he put the brakes on the Southeast Missouri defender, that had a, you know, that was encompassed a little bit of everything in his arsenal as well. I came away really impressed with Jairel Brock. He was able to find the seams to run through and uh, really make a difference in that ball game. And the receivers, I know you you brought up Dimitri Stanley and some of the people I've talked to that I know that are, you know, follow Iowa State really closely. They say Dimitri Stanley's a guy that could be a game breaker for Iowa State. Obviously, Xavier Hutchinson, Xavier Hutchinson, first team all-big 12 receiver the last two years in a row, probably will be first team all-big 12 for a third year in a row, but Dimitri Stanley is a guy that's going to be a game breaker for Iowa State offensively. Like you said, he has blazing speed and he has the ability to burn nearly anyone in the conference and anyone on their schedule. So that is 
really someone I, I, I look to maybe have a bigger role in the Iowa State game because I have a feeling Bill Parker is really going to try to take away Xavier Hutchinson and maybe up to Dimitri Stanley and how Iowa handles him to see how uh, to see how Iowa's defense will fare against Iowa State's offense. I'm uh, taking a look at Iowa State defensively. It's kind of a whole hum day defensively for Iowa State. Not a lot of flashy plays. Obviously, they did have the interception. Uh, uh, Tyler, uh, I believe he pronounced it Oneidum. I, I can't, I'm trying to remember how Matt Campbell pronounced it in the postgame press conference. I can't, so I apologize if I just butchered it. But had the interception on the first drive of the game that on fourth down that uh, turned turn the tide, shut down. It was a really good opening drive from Southeast Missouri State. Took over. Uh, took off over eight minutes off the clock, uh, but the, the Red Hawks weren't able to get it in the end zone. In really quiet days, you know, uh, Miles uh, uh, Mendezoon had a tackle for half a tackle for loss. Kendall Jan- uh, Jackson had a half a tackle for loss. Mason Chambers had a tackle for loss, as well as Isaiah Lee. None of that, I mean, no quarterback sacks. Will McDonald, surprisingly, was held to one tackle. Granted, Southeast Missouri State was likely double and triple teaming Will McDonald uh, portions as well to make sure he didn't, you know, he didn't break the game uh, on the defensive side of the football. But Really kind of a ho-hum day for Iowa State. No interception, or you know, obviously the one interception, no fumble recoveries. Just a ho-hum day, but they got the job done, Jared. Yeah, they, they everyone was doing their job and was filling their holes. They we As my uh, old high school defensive coordinator used to say, there was no Cowboys, meaning everyone was doing their job. There weren't, mm-hmm. Nobody was going rogue. They were filling their hole. They were filling their gaps. They were dropping the coverage in the right spots. Um, just a relatively clean day from the defense. Um Will McDonald uh, not getting any sacks was something that I didn't really expect. But when I went back and I, I rewatched the game, there were a lot of plays that man was held. And that was a theme I saw last year too. He's just, he, he, he's a beast and he's going to get held and it's not going to get called every time. There's not going to be a holding call every time. There'd be a holding play. So, if we were calling holding that close, there'd be a hold on every play in the history of football. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think he's one that he's going to, He's going to turn it on, and he will hopefully be able to make a game-changing play or two next weekend. But he was relatively quiet, yeah, in Southeast Missouri State. Yeah, he yeah he was he was surprisingly quiet in that in that game uh, that that went over Southeast Missouri State. We'll say both Freeler was tied for the team lead in tackles with Mile uh, Mendezoon and both Freiler both Freeler. I beg your pardon, it's Freeler, not Freiler. Uh, I talked with Bill Seals uh, for we have a block we play uh, every Friday on on our radio station here up in Webster City where we, we talk with David Eicholt of 24-7 Sports, and I talk with Bill Seals, who's a friend of mine uh, from CycleReport.com. And Bill had, Bill had a lot to say about Bo Freeler. And, and, you know, the jump, he very well could be an All-Big 12 player this year. And how Matt Campbell, I was at media day, Matt Campbell gush about Bo, Bo Freeler, about how he's one of the most consistent guys in the program, regardless of where he is, you know, what side of the football he's on. He's been one of the most consistent guys standing back to the start of last season. And really, he was a guy at the end of the season. I mean, they couldn't keep him off the field. He was playing too well in practice starting to cut into the time that guys like Aishin Young and Kim, uh, Kim uh, oh, what, the, the other safety, he had, he had a hyphen last name. Last, his last part was Meng. I can't remember his name, but he transferred off as, as well. It felt like Freeler was uh, starting to cut uh, into their playing time, and, and I think with the transfers it also showed a little bit that he was starting to cut into their playing time. But Bo Freeler, man, that's a guy for Iowa State I really love watching because he is a hard hitter. He's a mold. I mean, he's got a mold like a Phil Parker, Iowa safety, where, you know, good sound and coverage, but he can come up and he can knock the crap out of you. Yeah, no, he comes down, he lays the wood hard. And a lot of people this offseason were a little nervous about the Aishin Young transfer. Um, he transferred to Ole Miss. Um, obviously a big loss for the defense. But um, towards the end of last year, 
it was almost 50-50 between Bo Freeler and Aishim Young. There was a lot of snaps being lost to Bo, and I think that's what led to the transfer. So I think the, the defensive staff was more than okay um, rolling with Bo Freeler this year. Um, kids, kids going to be something special at the position for sure. Yeah, and I thought the Iowa State DBs as a whole held up well. TJ Tampa uh, held up very well at one corner spot. Miles purchased, purchased it at the other corner spot uh, as well. They're definitely going to be two guys to watch. If I was passing offense, it's going to become uh, improved here in week two. See how they handle the matchups here for a depleted uh, Iowa receiving core. Uh, and with that, we'll, we'll use that to segue into Saturday's game, 3 p.m. kickoff on, on uh, Big Ten Network. Iowa, Iowa State, first time the uh, series has gone back to Iowa City since 2018. The two sides didn't play in 2020, uh, obviously due to the COVID pandemic. Uh, that game would have been in Iowa City, but obviously it was uh, canceled due to the Big Ten, due to the Big Ten playing a conference-only schedule that year. Uh, but looking ahead to Saturday, number one, I think we expect – I think, we guys, we can expect that the – the uh, the electricity in Iowa City will be the, the environment in Iowa City, I should say, will be electric, like it always is for Iowa Iowa State. I don't think we were looking at 2019 or 2021 levels of electricity like we saw in Ames, just because you know 2019 was just a year felt like Iowa State finally had a really good shot to knock off Iowa, and then 2021 with it obviously being a, a top 10 matchup between Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see that kind of electricity this year in Iowa City, but still, you know. All you know, with it mostly being Hawkeye fans, Kinnick Stadium becoming the sound, you know, the sound barrier it is now. That stadium is going to be rocking on Saturday. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for this game. I think that there's a lot of intriguing matchups that are going to happen, and one of those matchups is even just the Iowa crowd against, you know, the Iowa State offense when especially when they are in that north end zone um because that's actually where a majority of those false starts occurred and we saw the same thing against penn state last year so i mean you're completely right it's going to be a raucous crowd on uh saturday yeah kinnick is a nut house man and any any player in the country or that has played in kinnick has talked about how hard it is to play in kinnick there's been several games where teams have been upset there um you'd be lying if you, if you were an Iowa State fan and said you weren't nervous to go play in Kinnick, right? Um, so hopefully they're they're running a clean, clean game, clean offense, and communication is there because that's going to be a necessity um, on Saturday. Yeah, I can th- yeah, well, I can think back to the Penn State game last year, number three versus number four. I mean, when, when Sean Clifford went out of the game with those broken ribs and, and uh, uh, the backup, uh, Twa- T- uh, Taquan Roberson came in for Penn State. I mean, they – they were backed up. I can think back to the three false starts in a row. Penn State was backed up in that north end zone, which has been a house of horrors for for opposing teams here over the last couple of years in Kinnick. And I mean, after the after the third one, you can see the offensive guard yelling at the center, and the center goes, "I can't hear it" because they go. Penn State went on the clap count uh, for their snap count. He goes, "I can't hear the clap." And I mean, the guard and the tackle could hear it, but the center couldn't hear it. So it's going to be interesting to see because I believe Iowa State. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think they do do the clap count. Uh, I know if they have to move to a silent count, that will be that becomes much easier for a defensive line to tee off on a quarterback you know, if they're throwing the football. So I think the la- I mean the last I think the last resort for Matt Campbell would be having to go to a silent count, and that would I think not result in 
that would not result in success for the Iowa State offense because if the Iowa defense knows how to time up their pressures, knows how to time up, you know, the, the play, that is not no, that's not going to be a good thing for Iowa State if they have to go to a silent snap count. No, and Hunter Deckers did look amazing versus Stutzman Missouri State outside of the one interception, but he had a lot of time back there to be comfortable and throw the football. Um, that's not something that's probably going to be available next Saturday. So he's going to have to be quick with his decisions, quick with his progressions, and get the ball out of his hands and not let that front seven eat him up. Carter, got anything on that? Um, I mean, yeah, I I think regarding, you know, the Iowa State O-line, I think that, you know, they, they looked actually pretty solid this week. And granted, Southeast Missouri State seemed to have a really young team. So, I mean, it's going to be a completely different battle when it's against a D-line that might be one of the top five ones in the nation here. But I think this game is going to be a defensive battle and really come down to who's going to make less mistakes um, and, and I mean, also we have to consider that Iowa state is, they kind of have lower expectations this year. And it seems to be, those are the years where they have Iowa's number and not to mention that two of the past victories that Iowa state has had in the last nine matchups are actually both games that were played in Kinnick stadium. So while Kinnick stadium, you know, it's going to be a tough place to play Iowa state's last two victories you know, in this matchup, we're at Kinnick Stadium. Yeah. So well, that, yeah, put that in Rippies, believe it or not. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be a tough place to play, but I, I think, you know, Campbell's really going to have the, his team ready to go um, because, you know, I think after, well, after seeing this weekend's offensive performance, maybe not as many people are on the Iowa train, you know, thinking that Iowa is going to take down Iowa State here, but you know, before then, I think everybody kind of chalked up Iowa as winning this matchup, and it's going to be a lot closer than uh, than than maybe that original thought. Yeah, the, the line opened up. It was uh, the line was six and a half, which I was shocked that it opened up that high uh, for for Vegas. But it's last I knew, it was down to down to three and a half, which is more like it. Which is, I mean, if you if you're t- if we're talking about you know home field advantage and when it comes to, to gambling and sports betting, three and a half is about what teams get for a home field advantage. So I'd say it's a lot of people are picking are saying it's a pick them. I think I read somewhere, I can't remember who it was, but they said 75% uh, of the money and 83% of all bets are on Iowa state. And that feels like that's almost too good to be true. Uh, that one, if I'm an Iowa state fan, that would almost worry me a little bit with how much of the bets and the money are on Iowa state coming up this weekend. Uh, so it's kind of, it's kind of interesting how that goes back and forth, you know, how that's more the opposite than what a lot of people are thinking what how the game is kind of, you know, what the game looks like on the football field. And you look at how the game's being bet on that's almost worrisome on its own, right. Seeing how much money is going on Iowa state. I think the other interesting gambling statistic is, the over under for this game, which right now is at 40 and a half points, which is a way under. too high, <laughs> way too high. Yeah, I mean, I could see this game being like nine to three or nine to six or something. Yeah, just... <laughs> I'll remind you of the 2012 game that Iowa State won in Kinnick. That was a nine to six ball game. Yep, that was. That was one of those games. I remember that game because uh, I think that was our eighth. I was in eighth grade when that game was played. Uh, 
that was a game that when that game got over, no one felt like they won that game. Both sides were like, oh my God, what was that? <laughs> that was one of the uglier – I mean, as ugly as <laughs> – excuse me, as ugly as Saturday game, Saturday's game won, that game was just as ugly, I would think, uh, in 2012 because that was a bad Iowa team and that was the last Iowa State team that made a bowl game under, under uh, Paul Rhodes. A real, profes- real professional Carter. Yeah, my bad. Come on. Wow. Rookie mistake. Having the phone not on silent. Or at least Sad. having the vibrator off. <laughs> Sad. 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 Sad deal. Uh so yeah, let's get let's get to Saturday. We we've got predictions to make, boys. We're we're gonna make predictions on this. Uh we'll start. I I I'll go last, uh, but I will uh, I'll let you two decide who wants to go first because uh, I really, really makes no difference to me, but I'll give my prediction uh, here after you guys give yours. Okay. I actually, before we do that, Quinn, I have a question for Jared. Oh, okay. Shoot away. Okay. So right. Jared, Iowa state fans are in a tough spot here. Uh, one of my buddies texted me this other day and I just thought it was hilarious. Shout out Spencer Dempool. And I wanted to ask you what you think as an ISU fan. So as ISU fans, you could easily drive the nail into the Petrus era if you make him crap the bed here. But at the same time, it might be more fun for you if he plays just well enough to keep the starting gig. And so I think we think that the most fun outcome for you would be to win for Iowa State to win like 17 to 13 and Petrus throws for around 150 yards, no touchdowns and no picks and just good enough to start again the next week so that you can keep laughing at us throughout the season. <laughs> what are your thoughts on you that? Know, what is the ideal situation? <laughs> you know, I don't hate that scenario. Just I, interestingly, I think the moment Petrus gets pulled is the moment he's done for the year. I don't think you can go from Padilla back to Petrus because if you pull him mid game, that's, a shot to the confidence. I don't think he would – that'd be tough to come back to him, in my opinion. Um, I think if you're going to make the decision to go from Petrus to Padilla, I think you got to ride Padilla out. I also think Padilla brings the offense a lot different – more of a different look than mm-hmm. Petrus does. I don't know. I think, yeah, ideally, I would I would like to keep watching Petrus uh, <laughs> miss some five-yard outs. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just wanted to know your uh, thoughts on that before uh, before we got into the predictions there. That, shot, so that would be shot. That would be Schadenfreude near at near its finest. Pain in the misery of others, or joy. Excuse me, joy in the misery of others. I I I do. He's getting so. I saw a thing on Twitter the other day. It was in teachers we trust. I think at the Shield in Coralville or North Liberty and. Uh, they were on sale for a dollar ninety nine, and they used to be like thirty dollars oh, t-shirts. No. <laughs> I feel so, I feel so bad because I I I know I, I met Spencer. I've hung out with Spencer, but just a couple of times. Obviously, when I was going to Iowa, and you know he was tight with the guys who lived in the Bent Street house, Coy, Tristan Werps, Kyler Shot, those guys who were all good, who are all good buddies of mine. Uh, and Spencer is the most gregarious, down to earth. I mean, just the nice and one of the smartest guys I've ever met too. And seeing all, all everything that's getting thrown is why I just feel awful for the guy because I mean he's just trying to play the game he loves and he's getting just torn to pieces for it. No, I agree, and I think Peaches is going to make 
a hell of a coach one day. He's just, mm, absolutely. For some reason, no matter what it is, it's just not coming together on the field right now. Yeah, he. Yeah, you listen to him talk. It's funny. <laughs> he listened to him. Talk, excuse me. He listened to him talk and. I mean, Cronello, he sounds like Brian Ferentz a little bit when he talks. <laughs> he, he, he sounds like Brian a little bit when he talks. Like, man, did I just get that quote from Spencer? Did I get that from Brian? What in the world? Uh, you know, sometimes you sometimes you have to do a double take if you're not quite looking at, at Spencer to see if it's him or if it's uh, uh, Brian Ferentz as well. Uh, but, yeah, let, we'll, we'll get back on topic here with the predictions. So, uh, Carter, I don't know, if you, since you interjected, if you want to go first with your prediction. Jared, if you want to go first, I, I'll let you two decide. I'll, I'll let, let Carter uh, lead off here. I'll let the visiting team. Oh, you know, oh my God. All right. That's all right. Um, I got to pick first, man. Okay. Um, you know, going into, I, I will never say that I thought Iowa State was going to lose this Saturday, but go, before week one, I thought there was no way, no chance Iowa State had a way to win the game this upcoming Saturday. Seeing the offense, and what I would look like last Saturday, I think there's, there is a chance. Do I think we win for sure? No. There are some things that I think needs to happen. I think our offense needs to look like it did in the first half against SEMO. Um, the second half offense, they looked fine. They ran the ball well, but you're not going to out Iowa, Iowa. And I think that's where Matt Campbell's got into some trouble against Kirk Ferentz is he's tried to out Kirk. Kirk. And I don't think that's going to be able to happen. Um, the way we ran the offense in the first half was a lot – a lot like how Purdue runs their offense where everything's timing and ball placement and doing their job. And I think the way to beat Iowa, if there is a way to beat that defense is to run the offense Purdue was, because I think that's about the only team that's had success against the Iowa defense as of late. So I think we have to look more like that first half team where we're going full, more four wide out as opposed to the 12 sets with two tight ends. Um, which we have been running the last few years because we've had Charlie Kohler, we've had Chase Allen, but those guys are gone. Matt Campbell believes in putting the best guys on the field, no matter who they are. Now our best guys are four wide receivers and Jared Russ. So I think, I think there's opportunity there if we choose to the smart route as opposed to trying to beat Iowa at their own game. I will go after that long spiel. Um, I will go... 14 6 Iowa State Roll Okay. How many uh safeties are is Iowa State scoring <laughs> there? You know, you know, you know, I was well, thinking to say hey, three safeties for two for Jack Campbell for sure. Uh my buddy who I live with, that's his cousin. So he's a big Jack Campbell guy. You know, you know I was State fan, but he's a big Jack Campbell guy. So I'll go I'll I'll do two field goals, but Hey, if Jack Campbell gets two or three safeties, we'll be okay with that in the house. Yeah, I mean, I I'll, I agree with you. It's going to be a super close game, and I could actually totally see the scenario that you're predicting here, especially if Iowa has the same offensive woes happen again. Um, I would say I'm really interested to see how Iowa State's defense looks against you know an FBS program here. They gave up, I believe, 246 yards in the first half against Southeast yeah. Missouri State. And I know they locked it up the second half, but I, I think that's something, you know, that it is, it is something to look at here going into this game against Iowa. Um, although, again, you know, the Iowa offense did not look scary in uh, this previous game, having only 162 yards of offense. 
Um, so, I mean, I, I think the previous Cyhawk games, we've seen that a lot of it's coming down to the special teams, you know, who's going to make the special teams plays and who's going to have, will it like, will Iowa state have the same special teams mistakes that they have had in the previous years that have kind of caused them to lose um, in Iowa? I mean, shoot, their special teams <laughs> looks incredible right now at least this previous game I mean punting legit was winning this past weekend and I think it's probably gonna have to be the case again here if Tory Taylor can be on I I believe his parents are actually coming for the first time ever from Australia so I'm really hoping from a good game out of him on Saturday um and I will be cheering for the punter I I'm looking for that shirt I don't know if you guys have seen it <laughs> yeah at uh Ray Gun. I I legit I'm probably going to be wearing that shirt on Saturday just because I think it's so funny and yet so true. I'm also really interested in the matchup of the Iowa DBs versus Xavier Hutchinson. I mean, he looks apart, all big 12 wide receiver. The Iowa DBs are supposed to be high. You know, I mean, they're supposed to be really good. They played great this past weekend. Quinn Schulte looked incredible. Um, And I, I mean, yeah, his performance Everyone was already passing him up thinking Xavier Nwampa, you know, would get a shot at some point. And Schulte looked like Tyler Sash out there um, in some ways. And so I'm really interested in that matchup. And yeah, again, like I said earlier, who is going to make less mistakes? So that leads me to my score prediction. I have 15 to 10 Iowa. I think we have two field goals, one safety and a pick six. Okay. <laughs> no offensive touchdowns from Carter. Uh, you got, yeah, Carter, you brought up some very interesting points that we, we haven't talked about yet uh, here on the podcast. Yeah, Quint Schulte, tell you what, that man was a human missile on Saturday. And everybody, you know, preseason, why why is Nwapa behind Quint Schulte? Why is Quint Schulte starting? Well, you saw why Quint Schulte's starting. He's a pretty damn good safety. I mean, I know it's one game, but he was he was flying over the field. He made quick, decisive reads from his, his free safety spot. Man, he was hitting some people. And that's one thing I noticed. Iowa's defense, you know, they're fundamentally sound. They can tackle well. But what, the one thing I noticed on Saturday, they were hitting people. I mean, there were some big hits on Saturday that you don't normally see from the Iowa defense. There was a little bit of attitude there. Yeah, the defense looked great. I am concerned Justin Jacobs will be out this game, and he is one of the big hitters, so that's going to hurt. Although, um, Logan Klemp, a native in your uh, KQWC yeah. radio area. Jewel, Iowa, baby. Pride of South yeah. Hamilton High. He, he will be filling that position, and I, I, I don't doubt that there will be much of a step back there, but it does hurt not having Jacobs out there for the Iowa defense this week. Yeah, J- Jacob's athleticism will be missed, but what what Logan may lack in athleticism, he will make up in being a veteran and being in the program for a long time. I I, I don't feel I feel I, I don't feel I feel no no uh, I feel no worries with with Logan Clump in there at, at that Leo spot. But I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of cash, a lot of three receiver looks, Iowa State runs, and I, I definitely think we're going to see a lot of cash. So that means a lot of Cooper DeGene on the field. Uh, on uh, on Saturday uh, for Iowa in Iowa State, but yeah, I'll get I'll get into my predictions here. Uh, obviously, you know the, the big battle is going to be between the Iowa State or the Iowa offense and the Iowa State defense. Or at least I'd say the more interesting battle and the battle that will decide the game. I think we know the Iowa State versus Iowa, Iowa State offense versus Iowa State defense. That is going to be uh, you know that's going to be a battle of Titan. I I don't know if Titans is the word. I don't think you can crown Iowa State Titans quite yet. 
on the offensive, but they look good in that opening week of the season. Obviously, I, I need to see Iowa State's offense against more competition. That is not Southeast Missouri State before I label them Titans. But Hunter Deckers looked solid in that game. Uh, but uh, my big worry with Iowa State is, you know, you have a you have a young quarterback, a sophomore quarterback in Hunter Deckers making his first road start in a house of horrors for young quarterbacks like Kinnick Stadium. Is that is, I mean, that should be, I think that's a legitimate concern for fans, uh, you know, for, for Iowa State fans with the Hunter Deckers coming into Kinnick Stadium, uh, and, you know, going up against a crowd of 70,000 with a decibel rate, you know, is normally over 110 decibels, 115 decibels, in some cases even more. I mean, the decibel rate is definitely going to play, I think, a big factor uh, for Iowa State on the offensive side of football. Whether or not, you know, they can hear the snap, I think, is a big question as well. Iowa uh, offensively, you know, that's that three three five is a tough test. I've actually talked with uh, some some players in the program before when I was at Iowa when I was still going to school there, and I've asked them about uh, why the three three five is so stuck because we know Iowa has struggled to run the football since Iowa State has switched to that three three five defense under John Heacock. And a lot of it is simply Iowa State, Iowa's offensive zone blocking team can't account for the number of guys Iowa State brings and runs support in that 3-3-5 defense. So that's why Iowa, you know, if Iowa can get, you know, 20 yards rushing on a given drive or 30 yards rushing on a given drive against Iowa State's defense, you take that. You're going to take that and be happy with it. But really what I think this game ultimately boils down to is turnovers and Iowa's ability to run the football and set everything up. Because running the football – as cliche as it sounds, in Iowa's offense, it does really set everything up uh, for the offense for the rest of the game. If Iowa can have you know, some success, they're not going to have a lot of success running the football against Iowa State. But if they can have some success and keep Iowa State respectable to the pass and, and you know, it sets up Spencer Petras for some easy throws on some waggles and what have you, if Iowa's defense can continue to force turnovers, and I think they will continue to force turnovers, that defensive backfield is good and paired with a young quarterback making his first start uh, in Kinnick Stadium, I think that – I think it very easily could be a recipe for disaster for the Iowa State offense. And that's not to, you know, take a shot at the Iowa State offense. I don't think they can be good for the rest of the season. I just think Kinnick is, like like Jared said, it's an exceptional place to play. It's an exceptionally tough place to play for opposing offenses. My final score, I have it, Iowa 23, Iowa State 10. I think Iowa does get a defensive touchdown. I do think they find the end zone a couple of times uh, offensively uh, in the game. I think they do finally are able to break break it. I think a lot of it shut up, set up with short fields thanks to the punting of Tory Tory Taylor. I think Iowa wins 23 to 10. And I think Iowa State's touchdown, I think that comes, I don't I don't want to say in garbage time, but I think when, when it appears the game is out of reach, I think Iowa State gets a late garbage time touchdown. But I think Iowa's defense is going to put the, 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 the nation on notice. It's one of the top defenses in college football. It should be feared by everyone. And, you know, I very well could see a situation where 15 to 10 happens or, uh, you know, nine to, you know, 14 to six happens. I'm not saying that's very much in the realm of possibility, but that is what I think is going to happen on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, no, I think I, it's a very realistic expect. You want to go ahead, Carter? No, you go. All right. Uh, I think that's a realistic expectation. All those uh, predictions could very well happen. Um, I think one of the biggest, um, points of this game will be average starting field position and if Agreed. Iowa State's able to not start inside of their own 20 um in 2021 uh our average starting field position might have been inside our own 15 I don't know the exact number on that but if, give me one if second I can actually find that for you 
Let, yeah, I tweeted out. I tweeted out the stat after the game because I went digging in the in, in the post game notes from uh, Iowa's uh, sports information department. Because I I felt like Iowa was starting on their own thirty or even forty most of the time, and we we're backed up inside of our own red zone. It was it was tough. So if we if we we're able to flip field position back on Iowa State or Iowa special teams, then the game could go very well in Iowa State's favor. But that's saying we play flawless on offense with no turnovers and no mistakes. Yeah, I very well, I, I think regardless of, you know, all, all three of our predictions here, they all totaled less than uh, 40 and a half points. So we all think it's going to be a low scoring affair. And uh, I mean, I'm just excited to, you know, I'm excited for the atmosphere in Iowa city this weekend. It's always fun when Iowa state comes to town because the tailgate is, you know, just a little more fun having all your friends around and I, the atmosphere in the stadium is also going to be pretty great. Great. So I'm excited for it. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a great atmosphere. And let me see if I can find the, the, the tweet I had regarding, <clears throat> excuse me, regarding uh, Iowa States. Iowa and Iowa State says respective starting field positions uh, from last year's game. I know I tweeted, I'm going to get a lot of traction that a lot of people just looked at that and went, wow, that is, ridiculous and it was ridiculous quite frankly uh because i was i, I believe I, at one point there was one quarter here it is here's the tweet i'm looking at so the average starting field position by quarter for each team iowa state in the first it was at the iowa state 15 and the second the iowa state 20 the third the iowa state 21 and in the fourth quarter it was the iowa state 22 here was iowa's average starting field position the iowa 38 in the first quarter, the Iowa 40 in the second quarter. The third quarter, Iowa's average starting field position was at the Iowa State 45-yard line. And in the fourth quarter, the average starting field position was the Iowa 34. That is absolutely insane. And, I mean, that is one of the most lopsided starting field position average by quarter I have ever seen in any football game, high school, college, or pro. That is absolutely – I mean, that's asinine to think that that field position difference can be that big. Yeah, and I think that's what that's where Tory Taylor comes into play, right? That's mm-hmm. why he's the special teams player of the week. He makes it so teams are just backed up and putting out of their own end zone or creating safety opportunities for that defense. Um, so if Iowa State does get backed up by Tory Taylor, they are going to need to get one or two first downs. They don't need to drive the length of the field. They're not going to be able to drive the length of the field against that defense. If they can get one or two first downs and flip field position back, that's where I think the game's going to be won. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a battle of field position. And also what, you know, that plays into my prediction too. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but uh, special teams for uh, Iowa State, you know, when it comes to the battle between Iowa and Iowa State, I think the kicker bat- I think the kicker battle this year is a wash. Two, two pretty green kickers for Iowa, for Iowa. Iowa State's got a pretty green kicker in Jace Gilbert. Uh, I think that's a watch, but I think the punter battle is kind of what separates that uh, for Iowa and Iowa State. I, I, I can't remember exactly who Iowa State's punter was. Uh, let me let me dig in here. Uh, it was um, – I, I know it was, it was Tyler Perkins who was the punter uh, for Iowa State on Saturday. He averaged 46 – over 46 half of the yards, yards per punt, over three punts, which is solid. But obviously, you know, Torrey Taylor, 10 punts, over over four, 470 yards, averaging 47 yards put on 10 punts. You know, that is elite stuff from, from Tory Taylor. I give Iowa a pretty clear cut advantage in the punting department. And uh, the return game, 
you know, Iowa's return game has been, has been, I think, a lot better than Iowa State's. And obviously, it's kickoff return units had its problems in the past. That's also why I give Iowa a bit. Of, that's why you also give Iowa an advantage in the special teams. So I think that can help Iowa start off with better field position than what Iowa State possibly can. Because you have to give credit to LeVar Woods. He's one of the top special teams coaches in the country. And Iowa, you know, I think it's the least talked about unit Iowa has on special teams. Iowa's kickoff return. When's the last time? I think the last time Iowa allowed a kickoff return for a touchdown uh, for both you guys, Carter and Jared, I think was back in 2015. I don't think Iowa's allowed a kickoff return for a touchdown since 2015. I mean, that's an unbelievable stat. Wow. I didn't even know that. I I guess I haven't seen one in a while, so that would make sense. But. Yeah. Well, and that just that, that's unbelievable. One, and yeah. that kind of brings up a guy who I haven't talked about a lot. Um, Jalen Noel, um, he's a guy that can be electric. I think Iowa, Iowa won't let him show what he can be just yeah. how suffocating that special teams can be. Because I believe Drew Stevens had kickoff duty, and Stevens has got a big leg. Uh, I don't know if it's Caleb Shudak big, but it, it, it's a big leg. And uh, he definitely uh, he, he definitely had a couple of big boots against uh, South Dakota State uh, on Saturday uh, as well. Uh, but, yeah, that's going to kind of wrap up this uh, Cyhawk uh, the Cyhawk uh, uh, podcast, episode five of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. Jared, my friend, it was great to have you on. I always know you got an open invitation to come back if you choose to do do so. We could definitely use more. Uh, we we've been heavy on Iowa, but that's because there has been a lot of news that's come out on Iowa State, uh, really since uh, you know throughout the preseason. But we could definitely definitely to to appease the other half of the state outside of the Hawkeye half. We could really use more Cyclone guys to appease the Cyclone half of the state. But my friend, it was great having you on. Yeah, I appreciate it. I love I, I love talking football. I love podcasting. I haven't got the chance to do it a whole lot. So I'd love coming back on whenever you want me. Yeah, and, you know, obviously, thanks for being a – you've been a big supporter of ours from day one, too. You were one of the few cycling cats that you saw. We were putting together a podcast going, F, yeah, man. You were, you were excited. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I You're just talented at what you do. And I listened to one of your guys' episodes. You guys, you guys are rocking. So, yeah, keep it up. Yeah, I appreciate that, my friends. So that's going to do it here for Episode 5 of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. Of course, we'll be back next uh, Tuesday, or next Thursday, I should say, is when it comes out. We record on Tuesdays. We'll be back next Thursday uh, with more, and we'll see how things go this weekend in, in Iowa City. I know I'll be in Iowa City. Carter, are you going to be – Carter, obviously, will be in Iowa City. Jerry, are you going to be in Iowa City this weekend? Uh, I'm not. I'm actually ah. taking a little vacation with my girlfriend, so we'll be we'll be in Hunter Decker's hometown, actually. Hey, we're in hey, Iowa. <laughs> yep. the home of Hunter Deckers and the fr- and the home of the famous Porter Hummel. If Porter's listening to this one, yes, yeah, famous Porter Hummel. Vader, the, the famous the Porter Hummel. Oh, game, Porter's right? going to be Porter. Porter's going to give me crap for this. I just know it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So, uh, boys, again, thanks for uh, doing this podcast here. We had a lot of fun here today, and uh, of course, for uh, Carter Coventry, my co-host, for me, Quinn Douglas, and for our guest, Jared Zeiser. We're signing off. We'll talk to you again next week uh, here on the Eyes on Iowa podcast.